its pleasure, but at a terrible price. Debauchery, violence, murder, and the ultimate end of the marijuana addict. Hopeless insanity. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. You must stand out. It makes me feel very nice. I don't know, sort of peace of mind. We really don't need another recreational drug out there. We've got enough problems with alcohol. You were sentenced to life without parole for possession of marijuana. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? Why is marijuana against the law? It grows everywhere, serves a thousand different functions, all of them positive. Do we really need to legalize and have pot shots? I don't need to medicate with pharmaceutical drugs that make me feel nauseous or sick. I challenge the validity of medical marijuana. The marijuana is an alternative to opioids for you. Correct. The medical marijuana stops the arthritis, it stops the pain in my shoulders, the pain in my back. I declare the motion carried, which will legalize access to cannabis. Weeds. A weed is defined as a plant growing where it is not wanted. Cannabis sativa L, or hemp, the psychoactive cannabis sativa, and the strain cannabis indica, also known as marijuana, pot, and weed, has a long and controversial history. It has been wanted and unwanted, celebrated and demonized, fought over and fought for. Humans are still grappling with its place in the world. What we know for sure, where humans have been, so has cannabis. Evidence shows that cannabis was cultivated before recorded history. An ancient Chinese book on herbology mentions ma, the word for cannabis, as a medicinal substance. As trade routes expanded, cannabis seeds were planted in Korea, Russia, the Middle East, and Europe. By 1200 AD, it's farmed in Germany. In the early 1800s, it makes its way through Mexico and filters into North America a few years prior to the First World War. Derek Thomas, a longtime consultant in the hemp industry, spoke at a 2019 independent TEDx event about humanity's relationship with cannabis. Wouldn't it be great if we had a plant that was good for our economy, our environment, and our bodies. Cannabis is that plant. And we've had an intimate relationship with it for almost 10,000 years. Many ancient civilizations grew it. From Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, it was used as clothing, rope, rigging, in sails. It was used as food and medicine and even religious rituals. George Washington grew it. Most of the founding fathers grew it. And most of the original American colonies were required to grow it and send it back to the British crown. The plant's industrial version, hemp, has 20,000 commercial uses, but was virtually outlawed by political pressure from competing industries. Cannabis appears legally in tonics and plant-based medicines to help treat everything from ulcers to asthma before its name begins to tarnish. In this episode, we'll meet one of the loudest voices in the charge to clean up pot's reputation and reclaim the freedom to use it both medicinally and recreationally in Canada. This is the story of Vancouver's Don Briere. I'm Don Briere, President, CEO, and founder of Weeds, Glass, and Gifts. 
Don describes his childhood in British Columbia's Lower Mainland as a happy one, growing up with two brothers and one sister, raised by parents from farming families in the prairies. Like many teens in the mid-60s, a time when society's norms were being challenged and the hippie culture of peace and love was growing across North America, Don discovered pot with friends and used it casually and recreationally. It was fun. We laughed. It was just a brand new experience and there were three of us and uh, we really enjoyed it. We just uh, laughed and just kind of sat on some steps by a park, kind of a summertime and it was nice out and kind of pleasant evening, a new fun experience. His self-described fun experience with marijuana was in stark contrast to the propaganda that has been circulating in Canada and the U.S. for decades. We knew it was uh, illegal. We knew that it was supposed to be, you know, really bad. People who did these kind of drugs would be on heroin and all kinds of other drugs, right? But that we knew wasn't true because we seen the evidence for ourselves. We knew that it was safe and fun. Since the early 1900s, governments in both U.S. and Canada were invested in vilifying pot, creating and releasing videos like the 1936 anti-marijuana scare tactic film Reefer Madness, and this one from the 50s that threatens teens with dire consequences for trying grass. Marty's story is like many of the others. It started with marijuana cigarettes. Come on, it's my turn next. Gee, Duke, where'd you get him? I, uh, I know a guy. Free for a buck. Let me try. He was determined to be one of the gang if it killed him. And it almost did. Several weeks later, after smoking reefers, Marty's befogged brain hit on a clever way to open pop bottles. Later, Stan went to the hospital for swallowing broken glass. Marty badly cut the inside of his mouth, though he didn't even know it at the time. Before long, Marty was hooked, physically dependent on heroin. Nothing mattered but the ever-present craving for the drugs. He had given up interest in everything else. Weed was demonized, and the motivation can also be traced to its racist roots. Its use by indigenous people in Canada and by Mexican immigrants in the U.S. was looked upon as an evil scourge by white leaders. Their motivation was to squash foreign influence on a quote-unquote respectable society. Oh no, I don't think we'd allow that at all. Colonialists used alcohol as their drug, while to them, cannabis was the unfamiliar, more dangerous substance. In reality, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention claims no deaths linked to an overdose of marijuana. While in 2018, a Health Canada-funded study shows that some 15,000 deaths per year can be attributed to alcohol use. In an interview in 2018, Dr. James McKillop, the then director of Canada's only dedicated cannabis research center, the Michael G. DeGroot Center for Medical Cannabis Research, has this to say about comparing cannabis to alcohol. A lot of people will say, well, it's no worse than alcohol. And certainly, uh, I understand that perspective, but it's really important to realize that alcohol also has a, a wide variety of risks. So alcohol is implicated in a lot of motor vehicle accidents. It's associated with uh, assault, with uh, homicide, with suicide. Over time, uh, heavy alcohol use or alcohol use disorder, alcoholism, uh, leads to cardiovascular disease, liver disease. So being 
no worse than alcohol is not really a, a, a high bar necessarily. Alcohol has its own set of harms. Don Briere himself worked in the alcohol industry for a time before souring on it in favor of the business of pot. If you had all your relatives and between all of them, they had 50 kids, boys and girls, or whatever ages, and, and they were, it was legal for them to drink alcohol, and you put 200 kids in a room and 200 kids in a, in a room where there's cannabis, where do you think all the big trouble would be? Everything from fights to impaired driving if they could and to unwanted sex and everything else. So to me, not having a choice to consume cannabis is a tragedy. He was living in northern British Columbia in the late 80s. Jobs were scarce and interest rates were high. Many areas in the province became a hotbed for cannabis cultivation, providing a living for out-of-work people and creating a reputation for quality BC marijuana. In that time, the economy was not very good and people didn't have a lot of work. And so this was reasonably lucrative. You know, you had to know what you were doing and you couldn't go to university or school about it. So you had to work with people who were already involved. And in the alcohol industry, my first, I guess, initiation was somebody said, mm, smell this. And I, of course, immediately knew what it was. It was cannabis. And he told me that he was growing a little bit of it. And then the rest is history, I guess. Once you get involved in that industry, it's like if you're in the alcohol industry, you meet more alcohol people. In the construction industry, you meet construction people. Stepping into this industry, you started meeting and knowing people that were in the industry. He knew a large portion of the public desired plant medicine. That, combined with a strong belief that cannabis should be freely available to those who need it, spurred him on, despite the fact that it was illegal to grow weed. The criminalization of using marijuana recreationally has had devastating consequences for many families in both the U.S. and Canada over the years. Anna Maria Ananjour is a Canadian criminal lawyer associated with the Campaign for Cannabis Amnesty. In 2018, she spoke at an event called The Walrus Talks Cannabis about why it's important that cannabis laws are changing. In the heyday of reefer madness, cannabis possession was an offense that could lead to significant jail time. Today, most people convicted of simple, nonviolent possession offenses are more likely to receive the lowest sentences available in our criminal justice system. This shift reflects the fact that our courts and our society have come to the recognition that the direct harms caused by this offense are virtually non-existent. The impact of these convictions, however, are far-reaching. A conviction for cannabis possession can limit employment prospects and volunteer positions. It shows up unexpectedly in child custody proceedings and in applications for community and board positions. And in cities like Ottawa, where the police services offers what they call a crime-free multi-housing program, it can allow landlords to screen you out of qualifying to live in certain neighborhoods of the city. That one question have you ever been convicted of an offense for which you have not received a pardon? Appears on countless forms and haunts Canadians long after their sentence has been served. Irrespective of how short their actual sentence was, the continued existence of these entries on people's records imposes a de facto life sentence of fear, shame, stigma, and uncertainty long after an individual's so-called debt to society has been paid. 
Don's participation in the cannabis industry is in large part because of his strong disagreement with the laws against cannabis, which in 2014 resulted in approximately 500,000 people with possession records, according to Toronto Hospital and Research Centre. He feels that reforming drug laws would alleviate crime statistics as well. 20 years ago, Portugal came here with their justice minister and they said to uh, politicians here, we have a one-third of your problem and we did something about it. We decriminalized and we put people into rehab instead of jail. And if you look at Portugal right now, it's in much, much, much better condition than we are in every sense of the word. You can let your mom walk down the street without worrying about her being robbed for the $5 in her purse. You can leave your car and not worry about it being smashed and searched and your house and everything else. So that's how they solved the problem. It was very simple to do. They basically just decriminalized all these drugs and they help people get off from their addiction. Here, it's uh, they're thrown in prison. They're given more pharmaceutical type of drugs. The pharmaceutical companies are making huge amounts of money. These guys get put back on the street with or without drugs. They go after more drugs. They do another B&E or two or three or four or five, one a day, two a day. How many thousands of times does this happen? By 1999 and in his late 40s, Don was heading up over 34 grow houses and employing over 80 people. That was the year he had a dramatic experience with the Canadian justice system. The RCMP raided his operation and seized his product. It just was a normal day, basically, that had started. We were just kind of assembling in the uh, warehouses, ready to go, and I was uh, in the office, and we had one-way glass, the kind of like mirrored glass. So I seen somebody come up to the door, and they were kind of hiding their body or beside the building and just had their arms sticking out and banging on the glass door. And I'm looking at this and I said, oh, here it is, it's the raid. And so I went back into the main part of the warehouse and I said, everybody, I said, we're getting raided. And then I sent somebody over to open the door and they opened the door and they stormed in. They had body armor on, they had guns, they had everything, right? basically loaded us into vans right away and took us away. And later on I found out that, you know, they spent hours and hours in the warehouse. I mean, they took everything. Uh, they were loading everything up, I guess, all evidence. I think they took 6,600 items, something like that, out of the warehouse. They used my forklift to load it, and then they took my forklift, and away they went. <laughs> I think they held me for 30 days before I was released. Crown Council said Don was running the largest grow operation ever seen in British Columbia. Don was eventually convicted and sentenced to four years in federal prison. Don Briere doesn't know yet that while he languishes behind bars, the woman who will change his life is just discovering how marijuana is changing hers. I won't go.